Hello and welcome back to Hacker Slacker. I'm Jacob Pettigord. And I'm Andre Garive. And today we're doing a remote recording because summer has yes. started, but we're not in Seattle yet. Andre, you're still in Lincoln? Yeah, I am still in Lincoln. I'm actually at the library at our university because it's a pretty good place to record. Um, I'm in a study room and there's like nobody at the library right now. So it's pretty good. Um, you might hear some like awkward pauses between when I say something and when Jacob responds to that, but that's probably just a little bit of latency with having uh, us be far apart. Yep. And uh, I'm back in Kansas City. Um, I'm in my parents' office and my dog is sitting next to me because he refuses to be alone. He follows me around while I'm here. <laughs> uh, my siblings are still in school. Yeah. We'll get your dog's input on the Pixel 3a. Yeah. Well, he'll probably just be uh, scratching himself and then I'll make him stop. So listen out for <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, so we got a ton of news this week. Uh, but first, I don't know, I kind of just want to chat about how the start of our summer has been going. How's it been going for you, Andre? You relaxing a little bit? Yeah, I'm relaxing a little bit. Um, <clears throat> my average wake up time is around 2 p.m. <laughs> yes, there we go. So, I've been very relaxing, but... Um, this morning I had to wake up early. I had a uh, phone interview for an internship for next semester that I did at like 10 in the morning. Um, I could hardly wake up, so I did it in bed. But uh, I think <laughs> that's, a, that's a bit of a power move doing your interview from bed. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I think I'll get that second interview, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've just been kind of hanging around doing chores. I mowed the lawn yesterday, uh, caught up with Game of Thrones, watched the four episodes of the season in one sitting. It was amazing. Jeez. Yeah. Today I was a, you know, total millennial and went to downtown Kansas city and was in a fancy pants coffee shop and did some work (laughs) on my laptop for a while. So that's pretty much what I've been doing too here in Lincoln though. So it's, uh, There are about three options for coffee shops. (laughs) I've hit them all. There we go. Well, yeah, it's been a good start to the summer, but I am ready to get out to Seattle, honestly. Me too. Uh, I'm super excited. Episode 50 is going to be our first episode out in Seattle. Uh, Got big plans for that. Yeah. So to start out this week, uh, we're going to do some follow-up. First of all, we're going back to Andre having the show notes because it was kind of awkward having me like have to read the whole thing and then... It's yes. just better, like with you able to look at where the conversation's going. I thought, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't have show notes last week. Um, ben and I both were just kind of sitting opposite of Jacob, but um, I think it definitely helps for me to have the show notes. Plus, you put a really cool map in here this time. True, so, yeah. So excited to talk about that. That's our next piece of follow up. So um, CNBC did a report. I think it was actually prior to Amazon announcing they're doing one day shipping for Prime about how Amazon already has coverage of 72% of the U.S.'s population with one-day shipping, which if I had to guess, I wouldn't have said that they had that, but um, it's because of all these hubs that they've created. So basically they have both coasts covered, and then even throughout the Midwest, there's little distribution hubs all around like the major cities, like Kansas City and Denver. I mean, you got Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City, Denver, Salt Lake City, um, Twin Cities, Chicago, Indianapolis, and uh, Nashville, it seems like, plus most of Texas, a good portion of Oklahoma. I'm assuming that's just because they have good distribution centers in Texas. Um, 
and then obviously like San Francisco, LA, Seattle, Portland, um, and then the entire East Coast. Yeah. So, I mean, it looks like there's a lot of, you know, uncovered space on the map, but that's just like really sparsely populated areas, which when you think about it, you know, probably this is probably where one day shipping makes sense. And, you know, like they could do one day shipping in Montana, but it probably wouldn't be, you know, very valuable for them for the amount of people that they're covering. Um, There are, looks like five, six, seven, there are about 10 states that don't have it at all. Nebraska included, unfortunately. True. uh, Yeah. So, I mean, they'll probably start rolling it out to like more minor cities um, eventually, but I didn't realize how good their coverage already was. So this map was pretty enlightening. We can link to the article in the show notes. So yeah, check that out. And now a quick little tidbit before the news. Uh, Apple put out a the first game that they've put out since 2008, uh, and it's Warren Buffett Paper Wizard, which is like a game where you're a like paper delivery guy. And basically all it is is it's like a little gimmick where there's like two levels. You try to shoot uh, newspapers into doorstep, or like onto like houses. And it was made, I'm assuming, as a tribute to uh, Warren Buffett for all the investing he's been doing in Apple, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. How Berkshire Hathaway has been increasing their stake in Apple recently. Um, and so, you know, Tim Cook and Warren Buffett are best buddies. Tim Cook was in Omaha, spotted at like an Omaha app store or oh, Apple store. I didn't store. even see that. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. that was pretty huh. cool. Um, and then yeah. – uh, there, I got really excited because when I finished the game, there were only like two levels. There was like a leaderboard it showed and it was like, oh, I'm in a number six on the leaderboard. And I got all excited and like took a screenshot. I was like, oh, wow, I guess I'm just good at this game or like no one's really playing it. And then like the more I looked into it, I was like, oh, all those names are like, you know, one word first names. I was like, that's a little fishy. Like no one put anything funny up on the leaderboard. And then I like looked at some reviews for it and the leaderboard names were the exact same, except the reviewer's name was in there. So I was like, Oh crap, I got punked. This is an offline <laughs> leaderboard. There's no <laughs> real leaderboard, <laughs> but oh, I got like surprisingly excited about it. I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, don't fall for that. If you play that game, but honestly I wouldn't recommend playing the game. <laughs> this is kind of a gimmick. You, the first level is Omaha. You go through like a neighborhood and, and then the next level is Cupertino, and eventually you end up on the Apple Spaceship Campus. But um, yeah, anyways, into the real news. Um, YouTube is making their YouTube originals free, which uh, in kind of the content wars which we've been covering is a bit of an unprecedented move um, because you know the way everyone does it is you have to pay some sort of subscription. Um, so YouTube has, for people who don't know, they have their own original content. They've got quite a few shows and they market some of them really heavily. Like I'm sure you've seen marketing for Cobra Kai all over the place. Yeah, I have a little bit. I was watching like the NBA playoffs and Cobra Kai was being advertised like fairly regularly. It's like a, a spinoff of the Karate Kid where it's covering like the guy that the Karate Kid beat uh, and like yeah. their rivalry continues as coaches and stuff. But uh, they have other originals. Marquez Brownlee even did his own original uh, on Retro Tech, which is free right now. Um, but they started making these a while ago. I remember back when I was like early in high school, uh, the channel Rooster Teeth, which was fairly popular at the time. And I watched a lot of their like Minecraft videos and that sort of thing. They had an original. Uh, it was called Laser Team. 
which I never watched because you had to pay for. Kevin Hart has an original. So um, their plan is by 2020 to have all of these shows be free to watch uh, and ad supported and paying for premium will just get you early access to them, which is uh, definitely a new move. Like we, you definitely don't see like a, Netflix making their originals free to stream, right? And YouTube's big thing is that their content's supported by ads. You know, Google's a ad-selling company, but I definitely didn't expect them to kind of give up on doing premium content behind a paywall almost entirely. Yeah, um, I just I, makes me kind of wonder if maybe they weren't really getting the revenue that they wanted out of uh, YouTube Red slash YouTube Premium. Um, and so they're trying to maybe refocus it a little bit. Yeah, I'm assuming even if it was, you know, like moderately popular, it's still a fraction of their overall revenue with how many, like how much uh, YouTube has in terms of like views and ad revenue on just all the videos they have. So maybe they were like, you know, this is really just a drop in the bucket. Let's get as many eyes as we can on this content and keep people on our platform. Yeah, I mean, the best way to distribute good content is freely throughout your own platform um i mean you look at netflix obviously they have the paywall of netflix but you don't have to pay extra just to access netflix originals which are some of their highest quality content so here's an interesting kind of uh idea that i never really thought of is that you know a few years from now um or you know maybe like five ten years down the line all of these streaming services will have matured. I'm assuming we'll have, you know, move past like the traditional TV model to where, you know, maybe studios produce original content and it goes on their services. So you think like YouTube could be like the starting point where just like anybody can upload a video. And then eventually maybe if you're popular, like MKBHD, you can get a YouTube original. And if you have a real audience, you know, you can get moved up to Netflix and have your own Netflix show. And then if, you know, you're like even in the premium section of Netflix, like you're super popular, then you're the star of some HBO original like Game of Thrones or something like that. So it's kind of the idea that in the future, like these streaming services could act in tiers and like YouTube is just the massive amounts of content all the way up to HBO, which is like very small, but like premium catalog. Mm-hmm. I mean, that all that all makes a lot of sense. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. Yeah, it's just uh, I never really thought of it in that way because that kind of totally shifts the model from like, you know, in the past there was like stuff that um, is distributed by like TV networks and movie uh, providers and like like you're either on TV and in the movies or no one really sees your stuff. But now like with the way YouTube works and everything, anyone can start a YouTube channel and get some exposure and there's like different stages you can think of like all the way up from, you know, just doing home videos to producing full on movies. Yeah. Um, what's really interesting to me is uh, how like pilot culture would change because obviously when you're a writer or an actor in Los Angeles or New York or wherever you are and you write a TV pilot or you act in a TV pilot, a lot of your future career kind of depends on how that pilot runs on the network the first time it runs. Um, but if it's with a streaming service, you you can't really just get analytics um, from a single night. Um, and you don't really know if 
um, maybe the way that the streaming service is marketing it could change how much how many views it gets, right? So uh, it's going to really change the way we judge the quality of newer, younger shows that are produced by um, people who maybe haven't really broken in but aren't going to start in on YouTube. That's true. I mean, Netflix barely does pilots. They do like pilot seasons basically because they drop everything all at once, you know? Exactly. So, I mean, maybe... If if you sell your show to Netflix, if you sell the idea, you'll just get a you'll get a pilot season rather than a pilot episode. Yeah, and you can prove yourself on a platform like YouTube. Yeah, as kind of like your pilot stage almost. So yeah, next in the news, um, Spotify has been testing out a new daily drive feature, which I think this is like when you talk about um, Spotify has said that they want to be the future of radio. I think this is a great move in that direction. So. This feature was spotted in testing in different countries. It's not released in America yet, but basically um, they will provide you with a playlist that is approximately the length of your morning commute. And like the radio, it's a mix of music and talk. So they're mixing music and podcast in this morning playlist. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So I think that people are saying like, this is a good competitor to Alexa's daily briefing. But the way that it combines like short podcasts with music, I think more just like covers the entire radio spectrum in a way that the daily briefing definitely doesn't. I mean, I absolutely love this idea. Um, I I think if I got to like hear a song to wake me up, something new that I haven't heard before, um, that obviously Spotify knows I'm going to like because they're so good at predicting my taste in music already. Um and then followed by that, I listen to the daily and then I continue on to listen to more music. Um, I mean, that'd be great for me. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it's supposed to be like. And then on top of that, there's not really a great way to get new podcasts recommended to you right now. Like there's almost no products that exist. It's mostly just word of mouth or finding things online. Like a lot of the shows that I listen to, it's because I heard a mention on other shows. Um, so this is the first kind of move by a major player outside of just like the storefronts, like the app store and stuff to give you like a personalized recommended, recommended playlist for a podcast, which if it's just short form news, then that's kind of like a smaller segment of the overall podcast. But I still think it's a really valuable one, especially, you know, in the context of like your morning drive. Yeah. I mean, I, that's just awesome. I really love this idea. Um, I hadn't actually heard about it, but, um, yeah, it just sounds awesome. Yeah, I think it's something that um, you could definitely see Apple do something similar because, you know, they control both Apple Music and Apple Podcasts. But the way stuff is set up right now, there's no, like, uh, way I could see those two intermingling in this way. So yeah. it's definitely, you know, showing Spotify's edge when it comes to treating themselves as one kind of radio replacement rather than siloing off podcasts into their own separate thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like this because not only is it a way to expand the uh, the listenership of the podcasts that it owns or that it ha uh, has on its platform, um, it's a good way for people to find new podcasts. It's a great way to get people who are more into traditional radio into podcasts. Uh, and 
yeah, it, I don't see any reason why it would be bad just to have that show up on your Spotify homepage, right? Like it's not going to hurt anybody. Yeah, and I could see it getting fairly popular. Oh yeah, me too. Um, this next one, I'm kind of hoping it doesn't get fairly popular, but Facebook is, uh, they've been rumored for a while now, but this is, they've officially announced that they are starting their own payment system backed by their own cryptocurrency. So they've been in talks with large financial institutions like the major banks and the major payment processors like Visa and MasterCard to kind of gauge, you know, how much people are willing to work with this system. The idea is that um, you can send money between different Facebook accounts um, and you can use it for payments on e-commerce sites. Um, so the main selling point is that they can kind of slash the 2 to 3% fees taken by like Visa or MasterCard and instead have this more modern payment system backed by their own cryptocurrency, which I still don't really understand uh, the idea of a cryptocurrency, you know, in this context where it's run by one company. And in this case, it'll be pinned to the dollar. So it's not really, you know, its own decentralized mind thing, but it's kind of just a digital payment system. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, kind of buzzwordy here like they're like oh we're making our our own crypto for our own secure back-end um, payment processing or whatever and um, I mean it's tied to the dollar that means it's not serving the same purpose as like Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything like that um, I mean cool they're taking away the fees um, I don't do payments on Facebook because there's literally nothing there's no good reason to be making payments on Facebook um, in my eyes, especially with how they've handled private data in the past forever. So, um, <laughs> But they're pivoting I, I, to privacy. Didn't you see the new Facebook conference? What Zuckerberg said. I saw a tweet. I think it was from MKBHD who was, he was like, um, Google, we want to take all of your private data and do this with it. Yeah, and then it's like everybody absolutely go ahead and then facebook's like we want some of your data and then everybody hold on because yeah. it's it's one of those instances where uh you you kind of trust google with your information you kind of trust apple with your information right they've proven that they can be secure um obviously they've had mishaps and stuff but um nothing on the whole corporate scale that facebook has yeah, and it's tough because, you know, even if you do trust Facebook, a lot of people our age especially are just trying to avoid it just because of the the stigma around it as a social network. Um, so over the next few years, they're going to have to make some real money moves to like modernize themselves and reestablish trust. Yeah, I think they're if if we can get into this really quick i think the biggest issue with facebook is that they've kind of become the social network for people who didn't grow up with social networks right twitter is a much younger audience most of the people on there have grown up with social networks in their lives um and same with instagram but uh, with with facebook the majority of the audience and the majority of their active daily users are people who didn't really have this 
uh, type of technology until like MySpace, right? Um, and like we couldn't even have social media accounts when MySpace came out. We were too young. But um, I think they have this problem where then they're making a product for people who don't understand the product nearly as well, um, which then they have to kind of explain a lot of their decisions. And I think they've made a lot of bad decisions. And now they're trying to um, explain those decisions, cover up for all of those decisions, make amends for all the decisions that they made. And it takes them a lot longer because of all the explanation that they have to go through because of the uh, just older average age of their user base. And then on top of that, they have to fix these mistakes that they've made before they can actually become a more modern uh, social network, which just keeps more young people off of the platform. Well, and I feel like a large part of the reason like I don't check Facebook is because you see a lot of um, like mainstream media, like sharing from relatives. Like that's, it's just that the content um, is not the content that you find on Twitter or you find on Instagram. It's much more, you know, your relatives and the things that they're sharing um, and yes. much less like friends being funny or yeah. people sharing interesting photos or moments from their lives. It's more like, like when you check your Facebook feed, I see things like, oh, someone uploaded like a 37 picture gallery. It's like, no one's going to scroll through that or grandma shared a giant news article or, you know, something religious. And it's just like, this isn't the type of content that would fly in my Twitter feed, but because uh, Facebook is such like, you know, you, a base part of a relationship is accepting a friend request on Facebook. It's almost like everybody gets through and that stream of content just becomes kind of worthless. Yeah. Uh, I basically use Facebook for my rel- as Instagram for my relatives who don't have Instagram, right? I just post photos from Instagram onto Facebook so my relatives can see it, um, on some photos. Some I don't even do that with, but, um, when you look at Facebook, uh, they, you, it's a social network where it's way, way easier to get stuck in your own bubble, right? Cause you only see the things that you like and the things that people you're friends with share. Um, and I think obviously I see a lot of things that my family shares that upset me because it's like, wow, uh, this is just an older relative who is sharing some like meme that's just a picture with words on it and they take it as like actual <laughs> news because they just believe that uh, anything on the internet is true, right? But um, having that dangerous mentality also is compounded with the fact that Facebook's makes it really difficult to tell if like an account you're looking at things from is like actually a real person or a real account. Um, like, Twitter has a verified check mark, right? That you can see like, oh, this is a verified journalist. Oh, this is a verified journalistic entity, right? Facebook has that, but they don't actually show it on posts. So you have to take the time to click on the person who posted it, which obviously not that many people do, just to verify if that is a verified account. Whereas on Twitter, you can just look at the name of who did it. And if they have the check mark, then you know, okay, this has been a verified person tweeting about this, um, which obviously doesn't make everything that they tweet true, but um, it makes it a lot more reliable. Yeah. Well, so to get back to the the payment system a little bit, because oh, yeah. it's pretty clear that, you know, we have our opinions on Facebook, but 
they do have tremendous advantages in entering the space, right? Like there's no other platform and probably very few technologies in general that a third of the world uh, uses monthly, which is, I mean, one third of the world's population checks Facebook each month. That is unheard of. You know, there's nothing else like that. So if anybody's going to be able to convince retailers, e-commerce stores to get on board with accepting their payment system, it's going to be something which with as much leverage as that. Um, but the the thing that makes it you know so weird for me is we've heard you know all these major companies have been making moves in the payment industry. Apple's been getting into the credit cards. Apple Pay's been around forever. Walmart even has done Walmart Pay. So it's been in America at least. It's been very segmented in terms of like you know, because Walmart's trying to do their own payment thing, they're not going to accept Apple Pay at Walmart and all this competition heats up. So I just wonder where Facebook's going to fit in, you know, whether sites will be exclusively uh, one or the other, or if, um, you know, companies like Walmart that have their own payment system will accept Facebook's coin. But uh, it's, it's difficult because it's kind of, it's a new approach to it where they're not using the credit card infrastructure at all. Yeah, I mean, I think what we've got here is a case of, like, it's like if Amazon tried to make their own payment processing for um, consumers, right? If there were Amazon Pay. Obviously, with Apple Pay, um, they have the hardware in place. Like, I use Apple Pay on three different devices constantly, um, but... I don't have Facebook hardware, so I don't think, oh, I'm going to pay with Facebook. Um, So obviously, they are great for authentication. A lot of people use um, Facebook or Google authentication, but um, I mean, it would would only work on online payment processing, which uh, I honestly don't think is as in need of updates as... uh, physical payment processing. Well, when you think about the companies that are using this, you know, if you're an e-commerce company and you're selling, you know, low margin goods in bulk like Amazon does and like most of their competitors are competing to hit those margins, something where you're saving an extra, you know, let's say they save you 2%, that is, you know, worth it to implement if that's yeah. the savings they can really get. Um, so... I mean, I could see them making, you know, waves a little bit online just because of the sheer number of users they have like that, that network effect can't really be discounted. Um, And they're, they're doing it big. They're trying to raise around a billion dollars in currency to, to back the coin that they're making so that it can be swapped in and out. Um, And uh, when you look at other unique advantages that they could have besides their scale, um, there were some journalists talking about how they could possibly, you know, reward users for viewing ads on their website with the mm. coin, reward them for engaging in Facebook with some of the currency to kind of spark like a reward system, um, get more people interested in it, get more people using it. So, yeah. uh, I mean, what this is definitely going to be something to watch. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't really make a prediction of whether it'll succeed or fail just because, you know, I want to say it'll fail, but the scale of Facebook is just so insane that, you can't really rule yeah. anything out, I feel like. I mean, speaking of the scale of Facebook, I completely forgot about the fact that they own Instagram, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, of course. They're, they're implementing 
like on-site payment, right? We just talked about this last week. Why not have the payments happen on your platform if people are selling things on your platform, right? Uh, and if they use Facebook coin there, um, I'm assuming that's what it'll be called, or that's what we'll call it until they give it an actual name. But uh, if they use that there for their uh, their story fundraising, um, that's a really good way to get especially young people into the ecosystem for Facebook. Yeah. And I mean, they have Facebook marketplace, which is massive at this point. Um, it's just yeah. kind of their Craigslist replacement. I personally don't use it very much, but I know there's a lot of content on there and I'm sure they're doing a pretty high volume of transactions. So there's areas where you could see it, you know, picking up steam like on Facebook's own products. And then if you can then, you know, use that to maybe as a Venmo replacement, sending money between users, that becomes a good use case because, you know, there's some segments where uh, some parts of the country use Venmo, some parts of the country use Cash App, but all parts of the country have Facebook accounts. Um, exactly. And then on top of that, uh, if they can start to convince other uh, websites to use their payment system, like they already have with authentication in a lot of places, you know, yeah. they could say it's just as easy as, you know, you already use our authentication system. You have these users' accounts information. So why not include the payment information in their accounts information? And you don't have to worry about storing credit cards. You don't have to worry about any of that hassle. You know, Facebook will take care of all of that for you. Yeah. As long as Facebook is getting a little bit into the technical nitty gritty, but if they make a great developer API, I mean, why not add it in, right? Like mm -hmm. if it more people to shop on your uh, platform. And if it saves you money, do it. Yeah. I mean, this is tough because we've seen all of these companies try to um, announcements like this, where it looks like they're just trying to eat the internet. Right. But we haven't seen too much of that expansion actually succeed, but it's definitely still ramping up. So it's, it's projects like this that kind of are pushing that forward. Um, but it's really uncertain right now as to if anyone can actually pull off, you know, some of these giant moves that they're all planning. Okay. Next piece of news. Um, there were a couple of developer conferences this week. We'll start out with Microsoft. They had their build 2019, uh, where they kind of announced some of their new upcoming technical products. Um, and so there are some of them that are interesting, uh, even at a consumer level. So start off with instant collaboration. They announced a new developer framework. I think it's called fluid. Um, and the, the consumer benefit of it is basically they're trying to make it like Google Docs real-time collaboration on steroids. They showed not only um, hmm. like the quickest um, real-time collaboration I've ever seen where you can like see text as it's being written. It looked faster than Google Docs, but it was an on-stage demo. So we really won't know until people start using it. Um, yeah, but absolutely. along with that, there were there were things that combine some of their AI tech, like um, in real time working on a doc in multiple languages. So if you were writing a, an essay with someone who was a native Spanish speaker, they could look at the Spanish version of what you're typing in real time, which I thought was crazy. We could agree right now that um, their, their online system is not good. Like office online is just bad to like, right. It just is. I think it shows potential, but uh, Google Docs is definitely still the leader in this space. Um, I always yeah. am surprised like when I open up like a document on Box, which is the system our school uses, and it launches the 
the Microsoft Word online editor. I'm like, oh, I oh. kind of forget that this is a thing, but it totally works. Um, it's yeah, just it that their their in-app like desktop applications, real-time collaboration sucks. Like I've tried to use it for multiple projects, like PowerPoints and Word documents, and it's always just like some extra bit of bugginess or um, some broken thing where it just never really gets going. That has made me just be like, all right, let's just go back to Google Docs. But if yeah. they have ironed out those kinks and are taking it a step further, that's you know good news for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so the next thing that they demoed was uh, these new types of elements for Docs. So you can be in a Microsoft Word and insert a table that can have columns for different things. Like, um, have you seen Airtable before? Yeah, we've talked about it on the show. So basically, there's all these, you know, the future of documents is, you know, kind of drag and drop applications almost. Startups, yeah. so that includes Airtable. There's another one called Coda where they let you add all this complicated stuff to a document. And this is Microsoft uh, implementing some of those features. So you can have a table that's like, you know, here's a list of transactions we did and have like drop downs for different categories and then dollars for amounts and then use, you know, Excel style powerful formulas to calculate stuff in real time. Um, and then the advantage that they have over these is along with the crazy fast real-time collaboration, um, if you share these elements in other Microsoft products like um, Microsoft Teams, their Slack competitor, or Outlook, the shared little picture itself will update in real-time along with the original element from the doc, and people can make edits to it from the little embed that you send as a link. Wow. Which is super cool. Um, that's obviously something we only work with Microsoft uh, applications, but if your team is using Microsoft, like they're building up this like really interesting advantage where all of the products work together in a way that you know I haven't seen from Apple or Google. Yeah, I mean, um, this would basically be like if somehow in six months Cortana was re-released as the best <laughs> virtual assistant. Like it just blows my mind how how much they're they're leaping past what they like needed to do just to catch up. Well, the area that this in is in documents, which is where Microsoft, you know, started gaining their popularity. So, it's kind of cool to see them like regaining their dominance in the space because they've had to do major changes over the last couple of years to go from being all on device to being cloud focused. And now that they are cloud focused, they're able to kind of you know, make enhancements and start making leaps, which I think is what we're seeing here. Um, and it could make, you know, Word the the best place for, you know, creating documents again, which would be crazy after all this time that, you know, people yeah. like us have been shifting to Google Docs. Exactly. Um, and I mean, even as my work gets more technical, I've been switching kind of just to Markdown and LaTeX documents just because um, those are a little bit easier to convey more technical things um outside of the barriers of normal just text write-ups um so i'd like to definitely see them improve upon that kind of stuff but um yeah and the reason i use documents like that is just because the speed of editing is so much better like there's you know word is a decent application but it comes with a lot of weight where just editing like a normal text file you can do you know instantly and 
you don't have to worry about different settings and layout and stuff like that. So yeah, um, sure. I think that obviously a key component of all this is that the speed that they're promising actually comes through because otherwise it's going to be like the last few times I've tried this stuff and it's just going to, you know, fall apart when I try to use it and I'm never going to touch it again. So yeah. Yeah. The last element is something that is a little more niche, but um, if you're a developer, you've heard of Visual Studio Code. Uh, it's kind of, it's been the hotness for the last couple of years. It's where a lot of developers write their code in. Um, I used it this morning. I used it almost every day this school year. Um, and they are bringing it to the web. So they're going to have a in-browser version of Visual Studio Code, which will allow you to like have a, not only a code editor in, in the cloud, but also a little native environment to run your code too. So um, all of that is huge for people who you know work on the go. If you have a, a less powerful laptop, moving all that stuff to the cloud is super valuable. And additionally, this could be huge for iPad users if they yes. you know allow support for the like just decent keyboard shortcut support because yes. all the the plugin like the one of the advantages of Visual Studio Code is they have this crazy plugin ecosystem where no matter what type of project you're working on. There's a plugin that makes the editor, you know, able to work with that type of code in a really, really nice way. And all of those plugins are going to work with the in-browser version right away, which I think is insane. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, obviously, coding on my iPad, like doing actual meaningful coding on my iPad would be amazing. Um, you have your whole setup that took a lot more work than I'm willing to put in uh, <laughs> to yeah. code on, or on my iPad. Um, especially when I just have my MacBook Pro that I can code on. But I mean, wow, if I could just go to a coffee shop and sit on my iPad and do my actual coding work, I, I, that would just be so awesome. Well, and if it's in the cloud, you know, you can come back to your main computer, hook it up to a giant monitor and be in your workstation and pull up that same browser that's still in that same environment because... You know, it's not on your iPad, it's in the cloud, which I think is a dream. Um, yeah. And so, like, one of the things that when I was trying to set up, you know, how can I do all this stuff from my iPad, uh, one of the things that I kept running against was that there is no good, like, well, there's plenty of decent, okay code editors, but there's nothing great like you have on the desktop, like Visual Studio Code. So one of the yeah. ideas of, like, an application I wanted to make was literally Visual Studio Code for iPad like it's in my ideas list right now and so <laughs> if this comes to the web then that's exactly what I wanted you know done by Microsoft themselves which is perfect yeah I mean that it's just awesome it's great innovation for developers um, and developers seem to be kind of the focus of today's episode um, yeah so yeah. now we have Google's IO which is again a little bit developer focused, but there was also some cool hardware announcements. Um, yeah, I so, am just so happy about Google I/O. Yeah, it was it was huge. So there's a lot of quick hits that I have up front before we dive into the the hardware announcements, which were super cool. So first, um, podcast is coming to Google News search results. So if you're looking at a news topic, it'll now show podcasts right along with articles, which I think is amazing. Um, and what that shows is that the Google team is indexing podcasts now. So they have yes. a podcast store, but now they're, you know, actually learning what the content of a podcast is. So let's say, you know, we talked about Google IO on the show. The idea is that 
um, if it was popular enough, theoretically it could show up in search results alongside articles about Google I.O. Yeah, and um, what's crazy and awesome here is that they're actually analyzing the content, not just the title and the description, um, which is obviously something that takes a lot of work. Um, and then not only are they analyzing that, they're actually putting that into Google search, which is just basically turning the podcast into a web page, right? And then they index that. And then, um, yeah, it's just crazy to think about. Yeah, I have no idea how they're finding the content of the podcast. I'll be like looking that up later when this actually comes out because I'd be curious to see if they're like actually translating the audio themselves or just crawling the uh, episode descriptions. But either way, um, it's definitely a big step forward. Um, and then along with that, now that they have this indexed podcast data, the Google Assistant will give you podcast recommendations as part of like their little home screen thing, which I think is super cool. And it's another one of these major companies, like we talked about Spotify earlier, trying to solve the problem of podcast recommendations. So then the next item we have is uh, being able to view AR products um, in search results. So let's say like you looked up some oh, whatever, like the pituitary gland or something, you know, in Google search results. And one of the results is like a 3D model showing you what it looks like. You can display it in AR through your phone and like put it in real life so you can see it to scale, look around it, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it it's super cool. I love that. Yeah. So it'll be useful for education and um, we saw Apple announce their version of being able to put AR items on the web last year, and it definitely didn't take off. So maybe Google will have more success because I think if you get um, things like, you know, Amazon sellers to get on board with this stuff, then it could be really neat to see a product, you know, in your living room before you click buy. Uh, obviously, the barrier is creating these 3D models instead of just taking pictures, but Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just happy to see the trend continuing. Me too. So next is Google Duplex for the web. So Google Duplex was a thing that would place reservations with restaurants over the phone for you. Um, it was kind of curious that they went to that first and not the web right away. You would think that would be easier. But now um, they're going to let Google Duplex complete certain tasks on the web. So the example that they gave was booking a car rental with National. So the idea is that you can just uh, ask the Google Assistant to you know, book you a car rental for this day uh, with this company, and then it will go to the website, pull up the form, use your calendar information, and uh, even like information from Gmail to figure out when you're going to be where, to figure out you know, where you'd want to locate all that stuff, fill out the form with your personal information, your payment information, um, and then hopefully get the whole thing ready to submit. And the interface for this was super cool because it didn't just like, you know, automatically submit something and you hope it worked. It kind of walked you through what fields it was filling out and where it was getting that information from. So you Mm -hmm. can check that it's accurate the whole time. And then it'll ask you for input on anything that it doesn't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, Duplex was an amazing innovation that um, we got to see come out last year at IO, and I was super excited about that. And I did not know that this was coming, but it just kind of makes logical sense at this point. Um, And I mean, that's just, that's so awesome, right? Like the fact that they can basically just like use the data that's on your phone um, to 
and they've made software smart enough to just utilize that data and just help you go about daily tasks. Yeah, and the cool thing about it is, you know, if you're interacting with all these services where you have to fill out these mundane forms, like, you know, booking movie tickets, there's so many examples of this where the, you know, way you accomplish a task is by putting in information into forms. So it's it sucks, like, a lot of times you have to go to different parts of your phone to get the information, and really, there's no reason that these smart assistants and smartphones that we have shouldn't be able to do a lot of this for you. And Google's really been the first ones to try to bring all that information together and make this process smoother for people, which I think is great. Yeah, I, I love it so much. And so there's just a, a bunch more stuff here. Uh, dark mode for Android. Um, bringing machine learning on device, like a lot of, yes, um, I saw that. I, yeah, like iOS does. So this is a huge for privacy in that it can do a lot of these smart features that it's doing without having to send your information to the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and then focus mode that allows you to, you know, let's say you're working on homework, you can shut out certain apps. Um, so it's kind of enhancing their version of screen time, which I think is a neat idea. And yes. now we're getting into the hardware. So, the first piece of hardware they announced was the Nest Hub Max, which is like a big Google Home or like Alexa show, that sort of thing. Yes. And so the idea is that it has a nice speaker. Um, they actually implemented the the um, automatic face tracking thing that the Facebook portal does where it kind of keeps you in the center of the frame and follows you around the room. Uh, I thought it was cool when Facebook announced that, and I was curious to see if other companies would start copying it, and here they have. I think that's yes. a good feature. It's a um, great Yeah, so then they also have a switch on the back that allows you to electrically disconnect the camera and mic, so it's a privacy thing, which I think is a great way to do it. Uh, I think a lot of people will appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the two killer features of this thing, which I think takes it a step above a lot of these existing Uh, like smart assistant screens is that um, this is the first device that can start to recognize you using your face and give you information specific to you. So let's say you're in a household with five people, it can learn who you are. So when you look at it, it'll show you your calendar and then other members in their family will see their information as well. I think that's amazing. I think that's the future. Um, And it's something that I've been looking for in a lot of these. Exactly. Like think about, uh, 10, 12 years ago, how whenever the first Iron Man movie came out, right? And we looked at Jarvis, the uh, the AI that he had, and we're like, whoa, that's such a crazy far out thing. It can like schedule stuff for him and show him his calendar, right? Those are things that we can do now. Um, obviously, we don't have Iron Man suits, but like this, this kind of technology is not impossible. And it's amazing the kind of technology that has uh, been created with all of the just innovation and engineers and all the work that goes into it. And just the idea that, you know, it's smart enough to know that I am not the same person as my mom. Like if we're both looking at it, it has the tools to tell the difference between us. This is the first device that's actually put that to use. I think that um, it's such an essential feature if these things are going to become like a large part of everyone's lives and, you know, it, it makes me excited that they're able to just start knocking these things down in terms of like actually implementing them. And then this next killer feature, I think, was something that I didn't think about or really think was uh, kind of in the realm of possibility. But 
one of the annoying parts about all these smart speakers is that sometimes you're listening to loud music and you need to talk to them or like, how do you tell them to stop playing the loud music? Well, some of them are good at like, you know, just listening for your voice and ignoring the sound they're making. But what you can do with the Nest uh, Hub Max is that since it has a camera, if you're playing loud music and let's say, you know, you're in the kitchen cooking dishes or, or I mean, doing the dishes or something like that, yeah. you can just raise your hand up and it'll recognize that motion and pause the music so that you can talk to it or so you can say something. And then yeah. when you put your hand down, it will resume. I think that's sweet. Another thing that they added is that um, this is also kind of an assistant thing, but if you have an alarm going off, you can just say stop. You don't have to say, hey, Google, stop, um, which is just very helpful, right? Because if you if you have an alarm going off and your hands are full, you just want to say stop. Like that's instinctively the first thing you say. Um, so I think that really helps. And also they displayed like how much assistant has grown and how many things it can do in a row. Um, I, they went through something where they're like, oh, show me pictures from my vacation. And then it opened up pictures from like some wildlife reserve. And then it said, show me only pictures with animals. And then it showed those and she clicked on one and then she's like, send this photo to somebody. And then it like sent the photo. Um, it, it's just amazing how many like multitask um, things it can do now. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff is slowly getting better and better. And I think that um, this device is, you know, a really good evolution of a lot of the stuff we've seen over the last couple of years. It comes in at $229, which um, it's still on the pricier side if you're shopping for, you know, one of these voice assistants, but hopefully this is um, a device where the features from this will, you know, in the next year trickle down to the more $100 range devices. And even just saying these numbers makes me think of the HomePod, which is $329, $100 more, and has almost none of these cool things, you know, it doesn't have a screen. All it is is just a really nice speaker. So I think, you know, Apple needs to step up their game in this department. Yeah. Um, Google is just doing a good job with what they're doing. Yeah. So next, uh, more of Google doing a good job with what they're doing. The Pixel 3a and 3a Max. Andre, you want to talk about these? Of course I do. I have been so excited. Um, I, during my internship, was able to go to an internal um, all-Android meeting Um where they invited a ton of Android engineers. Um, and since I worked on an Android team and a Pixel team, I was able to attend this. And back in July, they announced internally, hey, we're going to be releasing this budget phone. Um, and so I've known about this for like 10 months now, and I haven't been able to tell anybody. Um, and I'm just so excited that this this has come out. It's a Pixel 3, basically, um, with some of the hard hardware knocked down a few levels um but all the software is pretty much all the same and the camera is the same which is awesome so if you think about how the pixel has been so successful it's that it's premium but not the best hardware with un undeniably the best software right the the stock android is beautiful it has some custom features their camera software is incredible um but now this has uh, 3.5 millimeter headphone jack, which when I went to that meeting was something that they stressed they wanted to add because it's a budget phone, right? They they really considered if you're buying this budget phone, you're likely not going to be spending a lot of money on wireless headphones as well. So we're going to put a headphone jack back in there. Um, its screen isn't quite as good. Um, 
the the battery is still pretty good. It has all the great software. Um, it looks pretty similar. I was actually was at Best Buy yesterday, right after I/O, and they actually had some models out, um, the test models that you could play around with. And so I did a little bit of messing around, and it still works super smoothly. Um, and it basically just feels like a Pixel experience. Yeah, I think the the way that they brought the exact same camera quality and software quality down to this extremely affordable price is very attractive. And, you know, we can talk about the way that they're finally bringing the Pixel mainstream, it feels like, with this phone, with the way yeah. that it's going to work on all carriers and be available in their stores. Yes, that was another thing that they had announced was that um, they are now working with more partners and... Um, so you don't just have to be on Verizon to get Pixel, which will obviously help sales. Um, but then when you think about it, this is a budget phone, right? Like $400, that's less than the OnePlus. That's less than, um, although the OnePlus has kind of become a budget f- or a premium phone in its in and of itself. But you look at like the Poco phone, the Xiaomi Poco phone is what, $350? Yeah, and that's like the budget king, you know. Yeah, that's the budget king. It has a pretty good camera for a budget phone, but you're getting a flagship camera in this budget phone. Possibly the best camera in any phone. Yeah, alongside having a great software experience, um, which I think really helps the budget hardware. Yeah, so uh, some of the features that, like, I mean, this budget phone makes me jealous of is the fact that uh, it still has that night sight thing, which basically uses all their crazy software to help your phone see in the dark. Um, yeah. It has the call screen feature, which when I saw this presented at IO, I was pissed that I still don't have that on my phone. It's the <laughs> thing that you know lets the Google Assistant automatically detect if a call looks spammy and then kind of send them a little message saying like, if you're like not a robot, what, do this or whatever. So. I think that's something that every phone needs to have. Um, so it's just smart software like that um, that makes me uh, jealous of these phones. And speaking of smart, smart software, you want to talk about adaptive battery? Yes. So adaptive battery is um, this awesome new battery technology that they've implemented. So I actually got to work on this team after my main project was done. So I worked with them for about three or four weeks. I uh, got to go to a lot of meetings between um, the Mountain View and New York office. They also had teams in London, and I think they had one uh, Brazil where they did uh, a lot of their machine learning work. But essentially, it they trained a ton of machine learning models to learn how you are using your battery and uh, what is actually killing your battery the most. So it'll tell you, hey, if you plug in now, uh, it, it basically learns your charging schedule and your usage schedule, right? So if at 6 p.m., every day you go on YouTube um, and you burn 20% of your battery, it's going to tell you, hey, you're going to do this uh, most likely, so make sure you have a set amount of battery percentage or you may want to plug in while you do that. You may want to plug in before you do that. Um, And it basically will alert you as to about how long you have given your um, own usage of the battery. Yeah, and they said it can go up to 30 hours of battery life using these like smart adjustments, which I think you know is just a, another great example of Google using their software to make their hardware you know even more usable. And so the if another cool thing that um, they demoed on stage, if you remember all the way back to I think a couple months ago, we talked about the Google Maps team was experimenting with AR. 
Um, they're yeah. bringing that to Pixel phones uh, right now. If you're using uh, Google Maps with the AR on, um, basically what you can see is a small version of the 2D map at the bottom of your screen, and then your camera view with arrows in AR projected showing you the map. And the way that they talked about it on stage was like, you know, are you tired of figuring out which way you're facing by looking at the little blue dot? Well, you can just look around in the real world and we'll show you where to go, which, um, I mean, obviously we kind of saw that this was coming, but I had no idea that it would be coming so soon and that they would like so confidently be releasing it at this stage. Yeah. I mean, my mom has a pixel, so I'm very excited to, um, test this out on her phone. And also, uh, I'll be working on the Android Google Maps team. So I definitely want to dig in and like learn about how they actually did this because that is such a cool feature to me. Yeah, that's sweet. It even goes up to like, you know, when you get to your destination, there's a pin in the ground where you're walking towards, which I think all of that stuff is just amazing. You know, it's them getting their real advantage for if we ever switch over to, you know, glasses instead of smartphones. Um, oh, yeah. Stuff like this is, you know, where... Um, having this edge over the other companies will definitely come in handy. So yeah, that was a a long news segment. So we're going to take a break um, and we'll be back with our main story. Okay. And we're back. So Bloomberg kind of released their mother load of predictions for WWDC. Um, This is definitely the biggest list I've seen where they were like saying, uh, here are the things we think is going to be there. This year has kind of been unprecedented in terms of software leaks. Um, Reading through all this, it made me think back to an interview I saw with, um, I think it was Tim Cook, where he talked about how, you know, Apple is so strict on leaks, not because, um, you know, just for the sake of the impact of it, but it's because software developers work hard on these features all year and doing it in a, like giving the world these features in a big show kind of lets them have their moment and leaks like these take that away. So that's the downside of leaks like these, but the upside is that we get to talk about it before it actually comes out. So, yeah. And I mean, it's um, not like Apple's always been super open about what they're developing. Many of their uh, devices that they've created have been developed for several years without anybody in the company knowing besides the people who are working on it. And sometimes even the people who are working on it don't know what they're making. Yeah. So I'm just going to run through a ton of the things for iOS and watchOS that are supposed to be coming out um, this summer, next month, actually. So uh, this stuff is coming soon, um, but I, uh, I'll i be curious to see. So some of the stuff is stuff that we've talked about before on the show. So um, I'll get going. So first of all, something that's not coming, 5G is supposedly not coming this year, like they mentioned before, 5G 2020. Um, not this year, which um, honestly, I am not too disappointed with. I haven't really seen 5G, like the killer use case for it being sold. You know, 4G was kind of, it gets you HD video. And 5G, um, it's kind of like maybe we'll get you some nice AR content, question mark, but there really hasn't been any created. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see with 5G. I think it's still, you know, has to prove its usefulness. Mm-hmm. And next, they're expecting system-wide dark mode, just an option in the control settings that you can set. Uh, You could have it come on automatically at night or during the day. Um, And then another feature that I hadn't heard of yet was a swipe keyboard. Uh, They're saying that Apple's been working on one of these, using it internally. Um, And I talked a 
few shows back about how I was trying to use Google's swipe keyboard on the iPhone and mm-hmm. I loved the swiping, but I just couldn't get over the different like key detection. It made me mistype words all the time. Um, and so I, I switched back to the regular Apple keyboard. But if the Apple keyboard itself gets swiping, then I will definitely be using that. Yeah, I think if I if the Apple keyboard itself gets swiping, I might switch back to it. Um, I do use Gboard currently, um, mostly for the swiping. Yeah, so I mean, if if you've already gotten used to that, then uh, it might be good just to stick with it because Gboard has some other cool features. But um, for people who are used to the way the Apple keyboard works, this could be big. Um, next, updated health app to give you kind of a better outlook of your overall health uh, for a period of time. Um, and then adding a section on hearing health, which I thought was interesting. This is like a super specific feature, so I'm sure they're not just making this up, but... Um, you know, a lot of people do listen to music really loud on their Apple devices. So, uh, who better than your Apple devices to kind of tell you how your ears are doing, I guess. Um, yeah. but I mean, this could be better for people who have like specific conditions. Um, I do have tinnitus, so I would actually be curious to see if doing something like this would, um, you know, over a long period of time, maybe help the ringing in my ears get a little quieter. Uh, but it's just something that, you know, I'm extremely used to it at this point. So it's not yeah. a make or break feature for me. I'm in the same boat as you. I've been a musician for like 10 years, 12 years, something like that. Um, and I've been in marching band for six years now. Um, and being at Memorial Stadium for three hours with people blaring music in the right behind your ears doesn't really help my tinnitus. <laughs> But, oh yeah, uh, I mean, I get annoyed by the, the volume of it just being a couple rows next to it, so I couldn't imagine being in the band. So, and I have hour and a half rehearsal every morning too. So, uh, obviously, my ears are not in the best condition. Um, but, and I'm always told that I listen to music way too loud, even though to me it just sounds like normal volume. Um, and I think that's just because my hearing is already deteriorating. But. Uh, it would be great if my phone could be like, hey, you're listening to it kind of loud there, buddy. You could probably still hear it if you turn it down a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I think that uh, I could definitely use some more control in that area. So yeah, um, next up, uh, the sidecar feature we talked about that lets you use your iPad as a second display for your Mac. Um, we talked about um, a new find my find my stuff application that combines find my friends and find my iPhone and then also uses a physical tracker. Uh, we talked about an updated reminders app to make it more competitive with normal to do's app with normal to do apps. Um, and then we talked about the multitasking changes that allows you to have multiple versions of the same app open on the iPad. And then there's a couple of other things that I hadn't heard of yet. Um, a new book redesign that um, gives you like incentives to keep reading, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice. Hmm. Um, They're trying to gamify everything, I guess. Um, Something that I really hope actually happens is profile pictures and display names on iMessages. Um, I, there was a point in my life where I was like, Oh, I want to add contacts to all my photos because it just looks better. You know, if you have a good picture for everybody, and eventually I realized it was impossible. Um, the contacts app is actually super buggy in terms of like syncing profile pictures. So if everyone could just set their own profile picture and then I could see it on my phone, that would be great. Um, 
improved uh, locations on maps. I think that this is something that Apple definitely needs to catch up with Google on in terms of, you know, recognizing places you go to all the time and just recommending them out of the gates. Yeah. Um, and then a bunch of small changes to stuff like mail, um, the home and the home application, uh, and then Safari. With Safari, it's actually kind of interesting. They'll be adding a, a download manager, they're saying, which is something that has been missing from uh, mobile Safari forever. Um, but with the way Apple's kind of trying to bring files to the iPad, I guess it makes sense that you know the Safari could have a download manager. Um, but a lot of this stuff goes along with you know incremental updates to existing apps or improvement for um, like quality of life stuff if you're trying to work from an iPad. Yeah, um, I mean. Obviously, every update brings great new features, um, but I really think iOS 13 could kind of give us the software boost that uh, Apple's been needing. Uh, people have been putting a lot of stock into what iOS 13 is going to bring. Obviously, I just read through a massive list, so I think it would be you know, a shock if a lot of the stuff didn't come out at this point, but it feels like we're asking for so much. Like I don't remember a year where we saw so many changes to so many areas of iOS and especially with the broader like iPad multitasking stuff people are asking for. I don't know. I would be surprised to see if all this stuff actually comes true. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we've ever had a year before either where iOS is so far behind um, Android. And that is true. I mean, I mean, they're really, they really need to do, a lot of these things, a lot of these things are just technical debt that they're catching up on, plus some new features. Like most of this isn't stuff we've never seen before. That's true. I mean, a lot of this stuff is like, yeah, duh, they should have that by now. So um, it'll be nice if it all comes out. Um, but I think that, you know, like is normal with rumors, most of the stuff won't actually come true. But um, yeah. They were also rumoring that the HomePod's going to be able to recognize different users by their voice, um, which while I think is neat, you know, I just spent a lot of time talking about how excited I was that the Google one could do that. The HomePod doesn't have a camera to, you know, display your information or a screen to display your information or a camera to see you. So I'm assuming, you know, it'll be the same amount of bugginess that Siri always is. Um, and again, you know, the HomePod is much more limited because it's just a nice speaker and not as many people have it because it's so expensive. So yeah. I mean, the story around that has not changed. For sure. And then the next thing we have is watchOS, which, I mean, I still use my watch every day. Um, so I'm excited to see what they can bring to it. Um, they're saying there's going to be a calculator app. So uh, people with nerdy watches can finally have the nerdy calculator on their watch. Um, a books application that lets you listen to audiobooks straight from the, the watch, um, a voice memos, which, duh, I mean, that makes sense. You should be able to take voice notes on your watch. And then something that I wasn't expecting at all is an app store where you can download watch uh, applications from the watch. So the idea is, you know, if you have an Apple Watch and it's connected to Wi-Fi or like the new ones can connected to cellular you don't need an iPhone. Um, you could theoretically download applications and do a lot of these same features, you know, send messages, make calls and all that stuff without being tethered to a phone, which I think is, it's interesting to see that they're pushing for that because they've kind of been tied together, you know, ever since the watch came out, it relied on the phone 
to do even some basic processing. But now yeah. that the watch has gotten faster, they're able to make it more and more independent. So, I mean, it, it would be cool if we got to the point where people who find their phone distracting and kind of want a more basic experience could, you know, just leave their phone at home for the weekend and leave with just their watch. Yeah. I mean, if you could just kind of go out and reliably have your watch for what you may need, that's amazing. Yeah. And so obviously they need to add new watch faces. Um, uh, they're talking about adding a gradient one. That's kind of like a color that shifts to a different color throughout the screen. Um, more faces with like the large type prints. Uh, and then something that I'm excited about a redesign of the solar one that includes more information. Um, the solar one is the one that kind of shows the sun rising and setting. That was my favorite one, but you can't really have any complications on that, so I don't use it, but uh, they're talking about adding more complications to that. So all this stuff, it's like small quality of life improvements that you know, if all of it is added together and does come together, could lead for a pretty big year you know, for the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, I'm very excited for WWDC, um, especially since... This is the first time in a few years where I haven't been hoping for a hardware announcement at WWDC. I think their hardware is in a good enough spot that I don't really want anything out of WWDC for hardware um, so I can focus on the software. Well, I do think that they're probably going to be teasing their Mac Pro that they've been working on for a while now. Um, They've been really quiet about it, so... Uh, their crazy expensive computer should get like a cool promo video at least. Um, and then, you know, people still complain about the laptop keyboard all the time. So I wouldn't be too surprised if we saw a bit of a redesign of that. And obviously we won't see the new iPhone, but it is a new upgrade year. Like it's not an S year. So at some point this year, we're going to see new iPhone hardware, which I think, you know, in a post notch world with all these folding phones introduced as well, it'll be interesting to see, what a redesign of the iPhone looks out looks like right now, you know, because we know Apple's not going to do folding and I'm assuming they're still going to have a notch because I don't think that they're going to be, you know, ready in time for in-display fingerprint sensors or front-facing cameras. So um, how do they make their phone compete with all of these Android phones that are looking better and better every year um, while keeping the scale and quality that, you know, they try to maintain? Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, uh, seeing as Apple innovates much slower, um, maybe they'll have the next great breakthrough, but maybe that'll happen in three years, right? Um, we just don't really know. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm excited. Um, it'll be you know, an anxious few weeks waiting for all this stuff to come out, um, but I'll definitely be you know happy to watch the keynote. Um, and you know, a lot of these features... Um, are stuff that I wouldn't really touch, but it's just kind of nice to see that, you know, they're still putting a lot of work into the software because, you know, watching, walking away from, you know, Google IO where you see all this crazy, you know, machine learning, having your assistant fill out web, uh, website information for you, you know, Apple still has a lot of catch up to do. Um, so I mean, if we don't get a major, you know, improvement to Siri as well sometime this year, I mean, then I'll probably come along with the, with the iPhone announcement. 
Um, I think that they're in a pretty tough spot in terms of competing with all these smart features. Yeah, they really are. Um, really, it's the ecosystem is what's keeping them uh, alive. But uh, I mean, Google's getting there, right? Like their their phone is there. They're making. They bought the fossil smartwatch division. Um, they've got a lot of headway into getting into the tablet space and um, some laptop space. I mean, all they really need is like a a power user, high performance computer, and um, they might be able to hook me in. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I mean, if my phone broke right now, you know, and I needed to buy a phone on the relatively cheaper side, but, you know, I still like the more cutting edge tech. The new Pixel 3a, like, is definitely a great option. Um, yeah. And it's so good. Like it would even tempt me to think about picking it over, you know, staying with iPhone just because I would know I'd be getting exciting new software um, on a good device, but I know I wouldn't have to pay like 750 bucks for it. Like I would for the cheapest newer iPhone. I mean, if you have a budget of $500 for your new phone, which is generally the higher end of budget, um, lower end of mid range phones, um, I'd go with the pixel three a right. It's, $100 less than 500 but it's better than any $500 phone I can think of. Yeah, nothing in these Apple rumors, you know, is anything that would blow Pixel software out of the water. I mean, and I mean the anything, tech is like what? 750 bucks to like that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if anything like Google's building up their software edge right now, um and it's just the the network effect that Apple's still playing off of that has, you know, people like us still locked in. But I mean, if they don't fix these laptop keyboards, the developers are going to start moving away. And then slowly, I think we'll start to see some of that stuff degrade. Um, But I think that their real opportunity is in turning iOS into, you know, their next main platform and these improvements that they're doing to the iPad multitasking to make that stuff happen, you know, are probably the first steps in that direction. I mean, yeah, you think about it, Google has this great, wonderful, portable software that can go on to any phone, and it makes it really easy for them to make a less hardware-conscious phone um, because their wonderful software can still run on lower-level hardware, um, but they can still make devices with the more premium hardware. But then you think about Apple, they have fine software that works well within itself, Um but their hardware is top notch. So it's just kind of the trade-off you have to make. I mean, it's definitely things like the pixel slate that, or whatever that tablet was called earlier in the year that came out and just got ripped to shreds by reviewers because it was so slow. um, That is holding Google back at this point. You know, like if that would have came out and people would have said, Oh, this thing is so smooth. uh, It's competitive with the iPad. Then that's a big step towards, you know, building up that ecosystem. But yeah. Um, they're just, there's been a few stumbles. Um, and then the fact that, you know, the pixel is just now getting on all major carriers. Um, there really hasn't been that opportunity for it to explode yet. So I think we could see a giant, um, marketing push around the pixel three, a that could, you know, make it more competitive with Samsung. Cause it doesn't really feel like they've been trying too hard to compete with them. Uh, yeah. with the last pixel models. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see if, uh, 2019 and 2020 become the years where Pixel really takes off. 
I mean, there's no reason it shouldn't at this point, right? If they can hit the budget price, it can be that phone that is free with your, you know, switching or with your phone bill. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So do you have anything else for today? Nope. It's a, a long episode about going through, you know, upcoming features. So Yes. I'm, all, I'm all podcasted out at this point. Me too. Uh, um, I, I will be somewhere else in the country uh, in a week, but we will still record. Um, and then one more week and we'll be in Seattle. Yeah, I can't wait. Yep. All right. If you want to contact us, you can at HackersPod on Twitter. You can shoot us an email at HackerSlackerPod at gmail.com. Um, we love to hear from you guys and hope you have a great week. Bye.